Welcome back. This is The Lottery on Blue Wire Podcast. I'm John Wasserman, lead NBA draft writer for Bleacher Report. We've had a week to process the draft. Let's talk about what happens. Let's talk about what the rookies are going to look like uh, our last time before seeing him in Summer League. I'm just going to quickly introduce this week's guest right off the bat, Alain Vindikorov, president and scout EV Hoops Scouting Service. Alain, what are you doing up so late? This is uh, this is like my prime real estate time to to work. This is, you know, this is where you get your work this, done. You just put the kids away. Yeah, you know, my my daughter's been sleeping now for a little over two hours. Uh, my wife's starting to go to sleep, so I got a good three or four hours of work left to do, and there's nothing to interrupt me. Ah, uh, this is this is your time to podcast, right? This is your this is your time to talk. Yeah, hoops. yeah, podcasting. Maybe get some phone calls in. Uh, start watching some film for the 2020 draft. Uh, studying, yep. you know, things from this draft to move forward. But yeah, this is prime real estate. Good night, sweetheart. I got a podcast. I got some high school basketball players to watch, and I got to talk to Was. So let's, um, you know, let's get right into it. Um, let's talk rookies. Let's talk. You brought it up earlier. Let's talk first team all rookies. Do you have your top five? I do. Um, so I actually started this by just looking at the board of where everybody got picked and jotting down all the names I thought were into consideration. And when my when I initially looked at it, I thought, I'm not going to be able to come up with 10 guys. And then I ended up having like seven guys that I wish I could have snuck in there. Um, <laughs> so it's funny how that works out. But uh, yeah, I mean, you want to go spot for spot or you want me to just give you my five? All right, let's go st- spot for spot. I, I mean, I can guess who you have number well, one. We have to, can we just assume that we have three that are exactly the same? I, I think so. Zion, I think Morant, we, and RJ Barrett. Okay, yeah, I, I have to put them in the top five. Right, they have to be first team. I mean, Zion's gonna be. You know, you, you can you can take whatever David Griffin has said about this not being Zion's team. He's still gonna be featured. He's still gonna be awesome. They're gonna play a style that's super conducive to him looking good. You're hoping they're gonna be able to put some more shooters around him, but like he's gonna have a phenomenal rookie season. I really don't think that we can totally rule out him being named an all-star. Um, even if it's just fan vote, I, I think that mm-hmm. that's on the table. Um, Morant, he's going to, he now has a team to himself. Mike Conley's gone. Um, he's going to really play in the style that I think is going to be very helpful to padding some stats, especially assist numbers. I'm really curious how much he's going to score though. Um, and if he's scoring like only 12 and a half or 13 points per game, uh, I do think that's going to probably hurt his case to, to battle Zion for rookie of the year, and then let me jump in real yeah, fast. Yeah, go for it. Because I, I just saw the Vegas odds today. They put out the stat over unders for rookies, and I was uh, with Morant. I was surprised about one number and not surprised about the other number. I was not surprised that the over under for his assist total was seven. I would actually take the over of that number. Absolutely. I was I was surprised about the scoring number. You said twelve to thirteen. It's seventeen and a half. That's absurd. There's no way he's gonna average that many points. I mean, maybe I thought, I'm wrong, but I can't see that. Me too. I thought I thought that's a lock under bet. Um, all right, continue. No, I I just bet my house on that. <laughs> so, um, but no, I mean, like, I I think Jaw's gonna have a really good season, and I think from an assist standpoint, I, I kind of expect everything that we're going to expect, like. The assist will be there. The turnovers will be there. Lowish shooting percentages. Um, going to have a month where he scores well. Going to have a month where he struggles. It's certainly not going to be a consistent scorer for the entire season. And then RJ, especially if they don't get the you know big fish, if they don't land Durant, if they don't land Kyrie, uh, RJ is going to probably score like 
19 points per game. Um, you think so? I mean, if, who else is going to – it's going to be him and Kevin Knox, right? I guess I guess Dennis Smith Jr. is still over there doing his thing. But, it, I mean, don't, don't you feel like it's kind of a certainty if they land no one that he's going to score at least 17? Yeah, I mean, I, on paper, that makes a lot of sense. I, there are always guys come out of nowhere. You know, Trier is going to pop in probably 14, 15 a game, I think. And then they're going to get – I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they sign Julius Randle. Not, not that that's going to impact oh. – uh, I, I really think that's what's going to happen. I just I just see that coming. I know there was a report out today, but I, I think he, they're going to be too scared to literally do nothing and say they're, they're going to have to they're going to have to spend some type of money, even though that that's going to be the reaction of a lot of New Yorkers. Ugh. But uh, I don't, know. I I don't hate had, Randall, but like I don't hate him either. But it depends what the contract is, right? And I guess what concerns me more than anything is that is now a team where so many guys are score first, score second. Uh, between Dennis Smith Jr., RJ, Knox, uh, Julius Randle. You have a guy like Mitch Robinson who's fairly low IQ. And, and I'm not saying that to be mean. He's just that's, he's not really a, a cerebral right. player. He's not going to yeah. make anyone around him better. And then Trier is just a total gunner. Um, I mean, who, who's playing point guard on the team? Is, it, is there any chance it's RJ? I, th- I said when he was drafted, he's probably the Knicks' best playmaker right now. <sighs> <laughs> It's, it's. I mean, I, the other guy is Dennis Smith, and, and I know I like I like RJ. Uh, you know, in ball screen situations. Do you think there's any chance that, like, I guess my initial reaction is this is going to be bad for RJ, but if he's yeah. in a situation where everyone else is arguably as selfish as him, then is there a possibility that that forces him to be more unselfish, which then untaps a better version of RJ than? the flawed scorer we saw at Duke. You see, that's why I have you on the podcast to bring up points like that. That's a good point. I mean, seriously, he he could suddenly naturally, you know, be, become a facilitator for the Knicks and that could be beneficial for him over the next couple of years. Yeah. I mean, that's what really could differentiate him from being all the players that we didn't want him to be from being like, you know, a, a dead man's, let's just say like DeRozan or like a Jimmy Butler on like a lower end outcome or if you were like really scared of the worst case scenario than like a Tyreek Evans. Um, I think now that the more I think about it, if you can just put somebody in that team who can, I guess, be a good influence on him, not even as a playmaker, but just like some sort of a vet that can get into RJ's head, then maybe we do see him tap into some sort of a playmaking gene and more cerebral style and basketball savvy way of operating than what we saw at Duke and what kind of everybody didn't like about him. And and it's just so weird how unlikable he was at times. And yet he really was the no brainer number three pick in this draft. I know that's, that was, I pitched to my editors a couple of weeks ago. I said, we got to write about how Barrett is the obvious top three pick yet. My level of confidence in him is pretty low. And I'm not sure why he's 18 years old, average 22, seven, and four, I don't think any freshman had ever done that before. And yet there's something uh, about him that my confidence in his ability to, uh, well, not produce, but, you know, uh, translate the, that production into into positivity and into winning plays and stuff. Something about it. I don't know. I, I just feel hesitant about it. So uh, we'll see. I thought this was a actually disaster situation for him. I know for him, he, he's walking into Madison Square Garden. They're treating him like uh, a savior and the king already. And I think this is going to be a scary year for him based on free agency. And even if they do get Durant, I mean, he's not playing next year. 
So I, I think it's going to be the same situation that Kevin Knox was in last year, and that was a mess for him as well. Yeah, but don't you think there's a chance that that like if they did get Durant and they got no one else, which would be a very weird situation, um, that having at least Durant kind of coaching him up a little bit uh, could, could be like really good for him. I guess. Um, I, I guess b- better than Dennis Smith Jr. giving him any sort of advice. Oof. That's the last person I would take advice from uh, as an incoming rookie. That's really, it's just, that's what I'm saying. It's a bad situation. And I don't know, how much stock are you going to put into Kevin Durant's, you know, mentorship from the bench when he's not playing? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's difficult. And, you know, I mean, that's a good question, um, but it's better than the alternative, which is no guidance from anybody that you really want guidance from or any guidance that you want, you know, no guidance from. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the last thing I would add about him is he does feel like someone that is very much a prospect we would have seen more regularly in like the the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, and if he was like this version of himself and he came out of high school, I do feel like in that time we would have been so much more focused and excited about the positives totally. and not as nitpicky about the negatives. And we don't even like talk enough about that he's like a kid that reclassified. Mm-hmm. And how young he is was for his class. Um, and I just wonder if there's a chance that we like nitpick him so much, but we don't also appreciate the fact that he was essentially, you know, obviously aside from Zion, he was the best freshman in college basketball. And he did it when he should have been playing his high school senior year this past season. Yeah. And he's been so productive and accomplished before college. Um, I don't know. I mean, we were really harsh on him, but we don't talk enough about the fact that he is kind of raw and unpolished and what happens to his game when those are not the case anymore. And it's so rare to have a guy raw and unpolished and be a wing and score 20 plus at 18 years old. That's why it's such a confusing evaluation and have a tough time having a confident take on who he is and what he's going to be. All right, let's go to the last two guys who are uh, could be toss-ups. Who, who would be your fourth option? On the first team, I, so I have Darius Garland, who I put on there. Uh, it was it, it kept me up. It was between him and Kobe White, and then Kobe White landed on my second team as a result because I didn't want to do another guard. Okay, I have Garland as well. That's my fourth guy, and I'll tell you this: Vegas had him over under points as a rookie, sixteen and a half points, or, or uh, maybe fourteen and a half. Either way, we're right in that fifteen point range. I would take the over if it was fourteen and a half, and I would take the under if it was sixteen. And a half. Okay, so it's you know. Right in that range, but so yeah. so why you know tell me why you think that he's ready to come in right away and produce. You know, I'm not even like a huge Garland believer necessarily. I, I that doesn't mean I dislike him. I'm just not completely sold on him, and I don't think he's a sure thing. Now, this really was a three player draft in terms of guys you felt semi confident to very confident about, and there was I think a drop off after that. Um, and playing with Sexton is a weird fit to say the least, but I think he's going to get opportunities. He's going to get a chance to play a lot. He's going to get a chance to score. There's a possible scenario where he thrives as more of a playmaker as Sexton kind of takes on that like Monta Ellis, Lou Williams type role. I don't, I'm not sold on him completely. Like I could easily see Kobe white having a year that makes me feel more confident in Kobe white moving forward than Garland, but Garland just having a better year from a stat perspective. Yeah. I, again, I, who else is – I mean, I guess it's – right, Sexton, Love, and 
Garland. And I just, I could feel pretty confident Garland's going to come in and make shots. And I don't know, he probably puts up similar numbers to what Sexton did last year, which was like 16 points and three assists. And you shot 40% from three. I think Garland can match those numbers. I mean, yeah, that's, that's doable. But Sexton did it with even less people around him because obviously, you know, Love was sidelined and he didn't have Garland. Actually. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, yeah, obviously for the future, not a big fan of, of, of how that backcourt is built. There's a million question marks. Who are they going to pass? You know, are they going to find anybody? Are they going to defend anybody? Um, to me, he wasn't the obvious choice at number five, the way it, teams made it seem like he was, you know, this was a, a four or five player draft that, that, that popped up, that narrative popped up during the pre-draft process. I never pictured Garland in that position a couple of weeks uh, before the draft. And then suddenly we started to hear that buzz. Why do you think there's such a draw to Garland before the draft? Was it part of the mystery or was it something that maybe they're seeing or we're not? I think the mystique plays into it. Um, there's just a natural inclination to gravitate towards the player that you know less about when you spent so much time watching the other, you know, the field essentially and nitpicking them. And it was difficult to nitpick Garland when he wasn't playing. And I think the longer you kind of go without watching him and the further you are removed from the evaluation, the more you can dream and you can kind of, the, the memory of him and what you thought about him can kind of become foggier and fade. And, you know, I, I think all those things are, can happen and they've had, they have happened in the past. And that's probably one of the reasons why I think people started to make the Kyrie comp. There's also the whole, you know, shortened season, but um, I, I don't see any Kyrie to him. I really think he's much closer to like a DJ Augustine type or like a Brandon Knight um, and he could be better than those guys. Those, you know, those don't have to be his upside. I, I even thought like maybe his upside could be Ray for Alston, which is just like a throwback <laughs> comp. Um, but I don't see a lot of upside in general. I think he kind of plays small. He doesn't have any sort of tools um, or real athleticism to kind of hang his hat on. He's by no means a blur. I think people do like his makeup. I think it's really charming. I think he's just a good yep. kid and he's got like, a positive outlook and he's got a positive presence and he's really likable. And the fact that his father played in the league and teams really like to see when a kid comes from, you know, NBA bloodlines, they're more likely to figure it out, which makes me feel like there's no way this kid's just going to flame out. Like, I don't think he's got like Marcus Teague, like he's not just going to be not being the league in five years. Um, but that also doesn't mean he has super high upside. And that's why I kind of look at Kobe white. I actually had him ranked, above Darius Garland because I just see higher mm -hmm. upside. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you can dream a little bit more when you don't watch a player for a while. And especially when that player has like a squeaky, squeaky clean, like background. Yeah. Check. I mean, when you play four games, you drop 20 and then you call it quits, you know, your, your imagination can expand a little bit and say, wow, maybe if he could do that on a regular basis, uh, I'd rather take my chances on that guy with that pull-up game from everywhere. And very decisive with all of his moves and shots um, so I could see why I'm with you though. I, I don't see a star player. I see a guy who's going to last 15 years because of his shot making ability and his ball handling and can, he can make the right passes, but uh, I don't see him elevating the four other guys around him or a team. All right. The last guy, I think we're going to have different players. Who's your fifth guy on the first on your all rookie team. So another guy who I wasn't a huge fan of, I, 
I kind of like him, but certainly not to where, you know, as high as he was ranked in other places. I just really like the situation that he landed in, and that's Brandon mm-hmm. Clark. I think he's going to be a really good fit in the short term alongside Jaron Jackson. They're going to be terrific defensively. He gives a really good lob threat to John Morant. If I were the Grizzlies, I would play those two guys together a lot, and you hope that eventually Brandon Clark can stretch out his game in the short term. It's not as much of a dire need because Jaron Jackson can be the floor spacer. And I don't really care who's the four, who's the five. They just work together. And defensively, I think he's going to be really good in that pairing and help hopefully overcome whatever sort of defensive liability John Moran. Yeah, I think he's going to be really effective, Clark. I just worry about the stats Um, and and for a rookie to make all rookie team. I'm going with – I don't really love – I'm not super confident, but I I have a little more confidence over Clark um, and Kobe White. And that's Culver. I think Culver is just a mature, well-rounded player. And I assume that Minnesota is going to try pretty hard to trade Wiggins. I don't know if they are going to be able to do it. But I don't know. Culver, just, I see him being good enough in every area, even if he's not special in one, to clearly be an effective player for, for a team that needs a mature, well-rounded player just like him. I think he's going to find minutes. They traded up for to get him at number six overall. Tell me why you question Jared Culver in year number one. In all honesty, I actually didn't have Culver on either of my first mm. or second team. Um, maybe I'm just trying to be too cute. I don't know. I'm like too contrarian. I, I actually like Jared Culver a lot. I just like him more mm-hmm. long term. Um, I think he's going to take some time to figure it out. I think he's more of like a methodical player. He's somebody that needs to kind of become <clears> ingrained <throat> in a system. In college, he had a lot built around him. That's not going to be the case early on in the league, especially playing alongside a fulcrum like Carl Anthony Towns. I, I just think he's going to take time to adjust as a jump shooter. I still feel like he's growing into his body. He feels like someone who is out of out of a lot of these top you know top picks in this draft. He still feels the furthest maybe away from his upside, and I think he could get there because I believe in the kid and I believe in the prospect, but. I don't know if we're going to get a ton of production short term from Cole. Yeah, no, I hear you. And we'll see how quickly that jump shot translates, if it does or not. Dropped to 30% last year. Has a little bit of a funny release. Uh, and I think he's going to clearly need to be a good spot-up shooter this year uh, to stay on the floor, to justify minutes, and to and to get that production. So Culver's going to be an interesting call. Again, I didn't have a ton of confidence, but this draft, to me, nobody really stands out as an obvious first-year producer. So we'll go to round two, and I'll kick it off with a guy who you already mentioned. I have Colby White as my first pick on the second team, um, and, and I think he's an upgrade over Chris Dunn just based on what he brings to the table, his style of play. He changes the Bulls' identity. He gives them tempo. He gives them shot-making from the point. And I think with four other guys around him, uh, with Levine and uh, marketing and Porter and Carter. He's got some options to defer to. He doesn't have to force the issue so much, kind of like he did sometimes at North Carolina. Uh, so I think it's a good situation for him. I'll be interested to see if Chicago makes any moves in free agency, if they get like a Patrick Beverly or somebody else uh, where um, you know the coaching staff kind of wants to take it slow with Kobe. And that's really the only thing that I questioned about in terms of putting him in the second team over the first team, his role as a rookie point guard on a team looking to make a jump. But I think he's just too good to not produce in whatever role he's given. Uh, talk to me more about Kobe White and what you think about his fit is in Chicago. 
I love him on this team. I think it's he he was a steal at seven. A, a lot of guys on our staff had him actually as the fourth best prospect in this draft. He he was a pretty heavy staff favorite. Love the makeup. Love how hard he plays. I'm, I'm a big fan of kids that play really hard in all-star games. Not kids that produce in all-star games, but kids that actually like scrap a little bit, will die for a loose ball, will defend. And Kobe actually had that. And considering the type of prolific scorer he was in high school, the fact that he went into those settings and did that instead of do like the Malik Newman or Malik Monk and just kind of jack yep. and look for his in those settings, I thought that was a, a really good you know signal going forward. Went to UNC, learned how to play with other players, evolved as a point guard over the season. I love the growth curve. And now he's playing with guys like Markinen and Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter is someone who I think who can take some of the decision-making and pressure off him slightly. He's playing alongside a real, you know, shot maker and Zach Levine. And Otto Porter's another smart basketball player, decision maker. I just like the fit there. I think he's a like a definite upgrade over Chris Dunn. I do agree that there's a chance they could sign a free agent that doesn't really allow Kobe to produce and stuff the stat sheet early on. And I guess it's a coin toss whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for him long term. Um, I guess what held me back from putting him first team was more that I just think Markin could take another step forward. Wendell could take another step forward. Otto Porter's now going to have a full season with that team. And then, you know, I mean, I, we'll see. Like maybe Zach, Zach Levine comes <laughs> back to earth. I don't know. Maybe like Chandler Hutchinson takes a step forward. Um, but I, I just – I'm a big believer in that front court in the Wendell-Markin pairing. And I think they're going to probably take a step forward this season, whereas Kobe might need another year or two to kind of like – Is, is really Zach Levine good? I, I can't really un- – determine his value around the league. I mean, he made this big jump as a score, but he's got this you know negative connotation. Is is he a good player or is he a bad player? I think he's just a good numbers, bad team guy. And, you know, time will tell if he can ever be a good numbers, good team guy. Um, I wouldn't bet on it. I just don't know if that's his style of play, his scoring IQ, the kind of the way he impacts the game. Um, if I was a good team, I would kick the tires, if not for the contract. But, um, you know, the contract is probably what keeps him on a bad team for the short term and he'll score there. It's and maybe he'll have like two seasons in his NBA career where he's on like a winning team, maybe three seasons. But I, I just know, don't know if he's really a winning player. Scouting him out of the dra- uh, going into the draft out of UCLA. I was a big fan of Levine. I think I had him top 10. And I was like, this guy's going to be able to score 20 points in the league. And, you know, sure. Sure enough, I was right. And at the same time, he could score 20 points and he's still not really you know, a major asset or a coveted guy. That's how hard this, this whole scouting thing is. You can finally pick the guy who's going to drop 20 a game in the NBA. Uh, and he's still not, he's still not valued. Um, anyway, that was just a tangent. Um, no, but you know what? Look, you're, you were right to have in top 10. And I think we, we so often as a draft community and as evaluators, whether it's like, you know, guys like me and you, or, or just the people that are doing this casually, we think, you know, if you're top 10, you got to be this. But we we don't really take into account that there's really only like 30 NBA players in a draft. And, you know, the the final like 8 to 10 of those 30 are, you know, between journeymen and right. adventuremen. <laughs> adventuremen are guys that I would say bounce around from team to team but always find themselves right. in a rotation. Whereas journeymen bounce around between rotations, like maybe they're not always in one. Um, and then you, as you work your way up, you know, there's flawed guys. And then eventually you get to like the real, you know, big name players of the draft. So yeah, Zach Levine's probably a top 10 guy in a redraft. So you're dead on there. 
And if you get Zach Levine at 10, if I told you you can have the next Zach Levine at 10 in a weak draft, you probably take right. it. Right. I'm with you. By the way, for people who don't know Alan, he's so detail-oriented. If a guy sneezes and his teammate doesn't say bless you, he's writing that down and, and he's docking you on the scouting report. Am I right? You, you pay attention to every little detail. I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm a de- detail obsessed. Sometimes I think I, I overthink. Know, it's it's stuff. hard not to sometimes. All right, um, my next guy was Brandon Clark. You had him in the first team. I have him as the second guy in the second team. Players uh, players play strengths: run, jump, react, uh, easy baskets, block shots, switching defensively. That's his game, and I think he's got a good chance to play it next to Jaron uh, Jackson. They're going to be really fun together. Um, and like you mentioned earlier, lob targets with John Morant. I like that fit there. I guess we'll see what Memphis does if Clark's you know more of an energizer off the bench or if he's actually playing starter minutes. He's, I think he's old enough to, to – uh, and that team's going to stink enough to – he might as well give Clark all those minutes. But uh, who's your next guy on the second team? Can I just ask you sure. a Brandon Clark question? I guess it's two-part. One, what kind of numbers do you think we're going to yeah, see I mean, from like, him as a rookie? I don't know, 10 and 7? Okay. And what did you think his like ultimate like stars aligning best case scenario upside was? Uh Kenyon Martin was the comparison I've heard that I kind of you know laughed at but like <laughs> I love I love it. No, that's that that's the name. That's the name. If if you like really really believe in this kid and you thought, you know, age is just a number, he's going to keep getting better, he's a late bloomer, I believe in his edge and his athleticism, then like you know, discount Ken Martin was the name. I, I, I'm surprised you came, yeah. that, that was the name you heard. Um, and you know what? If we get another Kenyon Martin, the league is better for it. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah, I like Clark. I mean, I think he's – and at the same time, you know, his worst case scenario, I still see, uh, you know, a rotation player, one of those – a typical energy guy, right? Uh, he could be Trevor Booker, which is a journeyman. Okay. I think he's – in my in, in my opinion, like like that's on the table. Okay, I have a little more confidence that his floor is is a tad higher than than Trevor Booker. <laughs> okay, right. who's who's your next guy? Um, so I have Kevin Porter Whoa. Jr. Um, I, I love him. Too. I love him. I I think he's one of the most talented guys in this draft. If you just went on highlights, you would be yep. like, "Whoa, this guy's got some all star stuff." Um. This is a broader conversation, and you know it's one of the topics that we were going to tackle today. So I, I'll save it for that. Um, but I feel like he was unfairly dropped in this draft. I think we got caught up in calling him a red flag guy because of what happened at USC. But I think it was a little bit more complex than what it seemed. I don't think Andy Enfield was ready for the type of aura and attention Kevin Porter Jr. was about to generate. He very quickly became a draft name and a big one. He became someone that people wanted to watch. He became someone that was vying for you know top six, top seven pick honors in this draft. And a guy that came from Florida Gulf Coast was not ready to coach a kid like that, in my opinion. That's no knock on Andy Enfield, but going from Florida Gulf Coast – where your best recruit is Rajon Tucker to USC and you get Kevin Porter Jr. who is now you know garnering attention to be arguably the guy that is in the mix with like Reddish and the guy, you know, players on down. Um he got he got injured, he got suspended, weird season. I don't know if Kevin Porter Jr. ever felt as if like once he started getting that attention, 
and he thought, hey, I could be, you know, the sixth or seventh pick in this draft. I don't know if he ever felt as if the coaching staff was on his side to help put him in that position. And I think that's tough for a kid his age, for a kid, um, you know, who is quick to generate that sort of attention. He was, he was, you know, a serious recruit, but none of us, I think, came into the season expecting him to be a candidate to be a top seven pick in this draft. So it was a weird season. I thought some narratives spun out of control and his stock felt, you know, his stock really mm-hmm. fell for it. Um, is he the most mature kid? No. Do I think he's going to get it right away? No. But if I drafted him, I would actually put my arm around him and be like, we believe in you. We trust you. Let's work on getting you more mature. Let's improve some things, you know, off the court. Let's improve some, you know, life decision stuff like every day. Like how do how do we act as more responsible and mature adults here? Um, and I'd put him in a position to, to play make. I would put him in a position to play with the ball in his hands. And I would say – I'm not going to pull you at the first sign of you doing something I don't want you to do. I'm mm-hmm. going to coach you through it because I think this kid needs somebody that believes in him. And if you do that and you put him on the path long-term to succeed, I still think he could be one of the best players in this draft. And I'm not going to say the name Harden. We always get in trouble whenever we compare anyone to Harden. Um, but he could be one of the most talented players in this draft. And that's why I personally had him top six. Top six. I had him as a lottery guy, a late lottery guy. And um, we, we talked a few days before the actual draft. I told you some of his coaches, some of his assistant coaches were reaching out to me saying, why are there signs of this kid slipping so far? And I said, I was going to ask you guys that because I figured the NBA teams who are doing their, their, uh, their homework, their detective work, they go to the coaches who then you know, mention about some of his immaturity. They bring up his suspension. I figured it was coming from kind of the USC camp that he, maybe he's not really a, a, doesn't have a professional approach, but he's so, he's clearly so talented when he slipped all the way to 30. I was like, okay, who's going to, who's going to finally you know pull the trigger at, at this point. It's pretty obvious. He's the most talented guy in the draft. And this was at probably 20 and 10 picks go by and he goes to Cleveland. And, you know, I, I can't really decide if I like the fit on one hand. I love the fact that he should have the opportunity to play on the other hand, you know, he's, he's on a, a team without much veteran talent and, He's one of those guys who could really use, like you said, somebody to to put their arm around him and and kind of show him how it works to be a professional. But anyway, anyway, I think at number thirty overall, they got a steal. The only question for me would be how, how they handle his workload. Do they throw him into the G League or do they let him play through mistakes right away? I just don't really have a confident feel for what his role is going to be, and that's why I didn't put him on the second team. One guy I did put on the second team, um, I put Matisse Thybul on the second team, and. I, did that because first off, I think Philly's uh, forwards Butler and Harris are gone. Um, you're a Philly guy. What did you think about Thibel going to the Sixers? So I guess I've been operating under the assumption that Butler stays and Tobias mm-hmm. is gone. And even if that's not the case, even if both go, I still think they're going to try to bring somebody else in, and. They can say what they want about the readiness of Thibel, but history says it's not a lot of rookies really play that much right away. And someone with, with his offensive mm-hmm. question marks, I don't think is going to see as much playing time from jump as we anticipate. Now, the hope would be that in February, March, 
April, he gets it a little bit more. You have more confidence in him and he's ready to at least make a dent defensively and he could be passable offensively. And I'm pretty, I'm actually pretty optimistic in Thibel. I had a lot of regret on him. It's, it's less about Thibel and it's more about what the Sixers are trying to do next year, how competitive they want to be and whether there's room there for somebody that's not really a sure thing offensively. And isn't necessarily ready to be a game changer defensively. I love him defensively, but he's not ready from day one to be a game changer. There's things you need to clean up. He'll, he'll get there, and I'm confident in that. But, I mean, Danny Green took years. Robert Covington took years, and those guys were further ahead offensively than Thibel. So I think there's a little bit of a reason to be just cautious about what we think about what we think Thibel is going to do in year one. And the fact that Zaire Smith's on that team and will probably be first in line for some mm-hmm. of those those minutes. And I personally don't know if you could play both of them together that much um, rookie year for Thibel. And even though they could be dynamic defensively, offensively, it just further adds two guys that are total right. non-creators and still question marks as shooters. So I actually didn't have Thibel on my second team and being a Philadelphia guy and, you know, I'm sure some Sixers fans just <laughs> unfollowed me, but... <laughs> I'm just being honest. I still like Thibault long term. It's more what I anticipate the Sixers yeah, no, doing. I get it. And, and again, at this point, when we're looking for these second team guys, the, the third, fourth, fifth guy, I'm kind of just going down the list and being like, Jesus, you know, somebody popped to me. And, and if that, that's really the problem in, in this draft, I just there's not a lot of guys that you really love, and uh, situations going to play a big role. And so, you know, I'm looking to fill out this second team. Who else do you have on your team? So what I told you I had another New York Nick on my team. Dude, me too. I took Brad Dacus, I swear. That's my that's my fourth Nick. pick as the surprise as the surprise uh, second team all rookie. I think he's got a great spot to put up numbers. That's so funny you said that. Let's go. Tell the people why Iggy's the man. Yeah, I mean it's it's just the right team. Yep. It's he's on the right team to produce. Um I actually think he's a, he's an interesting fit alongside someone like Mitch Robinson. Uh, do I think he's going to start right away? No, but he's going to find his way into playing time. He's going to outplay where he was drafted. He's going to score a little bit. He'll chip in. And I don't even know if that means he's going to be a great player long-term. I just think he's going to produce short-term. It might just be a situation where like, once the Knicks actually bring in talent, Iggy slowly, like his stats slowly go down. And it wouldn't surprise me if like his rookie year was one of the best years <laughs> of his career. But He's going to be good rookie year from a production standpoint, and I think it's going to land him on the second. I totally think that he's going to carve out a role quickly. I think the fans are clearly going to fall in love with his competitiveness and passion, and so will Fisdale. And I thought, I mean, at forty-seven overall, I thought that was a, I thought that was a steal. I thought he would go earlier than that. Um, And uh, I just think that he's kind of built for this opportunity. And like we said, there's nobody else. Um, They're 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 going to be waiting for guys um, to kind of step up and surprise. And I think. He's the perfect guy to do it. Has a relationship with R.J. Barrett going back to the Canadian national team. And so uh, he was one of my favorite picks of the draft. And uh, I think the Knicks actually, for the second year in a row, might come away uh, with a a second-round steal. Who else do you have? I think we have one more guy left on your second team. Two. So I have Kobe, KPJ, Mm -hmm. and Iggy. Um, My fourth guy is DeAndre Hunter, who – I expect to be solid as a rookie. I think they're definitely going to utilize him. They're going to try to play him in a role that hides the defensive problems of everyone else, whether that's who does John Collins defend, whether that's 
Trey Young being somewhat of a paper, you know, paper mache defense defender. Um, I think they're going to use DeAndre Hunter to kind of be this all, you know, covering switchable guy that cross checks, whoever cool, the hot hand, a classic stopper. Um, I think everyone, you know, from the draft community and the NBA community is really going to enjoy what they see out of him defensively as a rookie. There will be a lot of, you know, articles written about DeAndre Hunter. I'm sure someone's going to be like, Oh, DeAndre Hunter's an all defender type guy already. Um, people will make that sort of a case. I think offensively he'll be pretty bland. Hopefully he, you know, his jump shot translates right away and he can provide some sort of a threat from the NBA three point range when left open. Um, but I, I just think def- defense is going to get him on there and he's going to have a solid. Yeah, I'm not team. a big hunter guy, but he was my last pick too. So we were pretty close uh, with our teams. Um, it's that offense that I really question, and I'm not even. You know, he didn't shoot too many threes. I know he shot pretty accurately, but uh, he's kind of got a line drive shot. I'm curious to see how it translates. I, I can't see him creating his own offense. Um, but, yeah, like you said, toughness uh, on defense, he's going to carve out a role on that team, and I think it'll be enough uh, to make the second team where, again, we're just looking for guys to, to, to be contributors, to make some type of impact as rookies because I can't picture more than – 10, 12 guys having pretty big roles. All right, guys, we got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash blue wire to save $10 in the value trial set, which includes five blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's is fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave... Let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for just $3. Before we continue, I need to do a quick shout out to Roman. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health, whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse. Guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides the treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. All right, let's, let's talk about this draft really fast. The draft's moving along, right? We're in the 20s. Um, we're starting to get a feel, a bigger picture for, for what's going on. Give me your, your big takeaway that's forming in your head as we start to see the order play out and we move later into the first round, second round. 
Well, it, I mean, every year we look at to, we look at the college landscape and we see talented kids that we know have red flags, and you try to weigh what to do with that. How do we weigh talent versus red flags? How do we weigh the talent of Bowl Bowl versus the fact that everyone is concerned about his love for the game? How do we weigh the talent of Kevin Porter Jr. versus the fact that we don't trust him from a maturity standpoint and from a professional standpoint based off of you know the way the season's playing out? And you saw NBA teams let talented players drop because of background, whether that was Kevin Porter Jr. or Bull Bull or even guys like Naz Reed and Lewis King going undrafted. I've been saying this for a while. People talk about you know, analytics. We're in the age of analytics. We're really in the age mm-hmm. of background information. Teams want background information. They're willing to, you know, go to any ends to get it. And I think we're seeing guys drop because of it. Now, my concern is it feels like we're putting all of these guys into the same bucket when there's different types of red flags. And I'm concerned that we're going to get burned by the guys that prove, hey, my red flag is not as glaring as this guy's red flag, and we shouldn't all drop because of one bad egg. And that's kind of my takeaway from this draft outside of, you know, other takeaways like the devaluing of the second round and, you know, the fact that we always assume it's just going to be freshmen at the top. And this year there were several guys that were in freshmen like John Moran and DeAndre Hunter going fairly high, um, Cam Johnson so Rui Hachimura, but the thing that I'm like losing sleep over is this notion of red flags and what it's doing to kids' stock and what it's doing to you know the way we evaluate them and if it's going to age yeah well. I mean um, it's it's certainly becoming a bigger part of the decision making process. They're certainly going to more lengths than they used to to find out information on prospects. They're making phone calls to anyone who's had any type of contact with that person to get a feel for who they are as people, who they are as competitors. And you're right. I thought some of these guys dropped. I mean, Bobo went 44. And as the names kept going in front of him, and by the way, the names that went in front of Bobo, Justin James, Eric Pascal, Admiral Schofield, Jalen Noel. I mean, in terms of, in terms of talent, it's like night and day. And uh, 44 overall for Bull, and, and again, Porter at 30. I'm totally with you. I, I, and I think some of these teams put maybe too much stock into their information digging process and maybe too much stock into liking a guy just as a person. You know, I, I guess I know there are people who like Grant Williams as 33. This is just a good example, and I happen to like Grant Williams. But I wonder how much Grant Williams won the Celtics over behind the interview table as opposed to on the basketball floor. And the same thing with Cam Johnson uh, with the Phoenix Suns. And I had Pete Philo on this podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he's like, you got to be careful because you can fall in love with, with a kid. Uh, and he could be so personable and articulate. And sometimes you just kind of fall in love with the kid and want to buy into that person, but kind of ignore the basketball aspect of it. And, and some good players – might have gotten hurt in terms of their draft stock because of it. So it's an interesting, interesting process of how to balance out the basketball scouting and the human scouting. Um, so yeah, I, I see 
where you're going with that. Um, before we take too much time on that, I want to go down the list and uh, quick hitter stuff. Give me your biggest surprise of draft night. So my biggest surprise, I'll, I'll give two. I mean, one was um, mm-hmm. Cameron Johnson going 11. You know, we actually had a conversation as a staff, like, should we give Cameron Johnson a lottery grade? And for like a week, he had one. And then we were just, you know, we, we just came back to the fact that this kid is so injury prone and his margin for error is minuscule. If he's not an elite shooter, if he gets hurt again and his athleticism starts to fade, if he can't defend, like if he's just a massive liability, what, you know, how valuable can he possibly be? And we just couldn't consider him a lottery pick at the end of the day because he's just too injury prone and his margin for error is too small, too small. And we've only seen one year in his college career where injuries were not an issue. And it's the only year where he actually looked athletic and he actually looked capable defensively. And that's difficult to put up against everything else we've seen prior. I like Cameron Johnson. I, w- I mean, we had him on our board, obviously. I, I would have considered him a little bit later. But taking him 11, he's I, I kind of feel like he's an injury away from slowly falling out of the league. The fact that they, he was my pick for the biggest surprise of the night as well. And to see Phoenix trade from number six for a chance to get Kobe White and move down to 11 for Cam Johnson was nuts. I thought it was nuts. And I like I, I, like, I like Cam Johnson. And, and you mentioned he had this big, great year where he stayed healthy the whole year. He was also 23 years old this year. You know, he reminds me, and yeah, the injuries aside, and there were there were teams who were talking about you know red flags. I actually didn't hear anyone say that. I heard other people telling me that they were hearing red flags pop up about his hip and stuff. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this comparison? Because this is the name that pops into my mind when I think of Cam Johnson, Doug McDermott. Thoughts? McDermott was a scorer in college. Like McDermott had had some junk to him, and he could he could clear people out and go post somebody. Yeah, but he doesn't up. really do that in the NBA. His role in the NBA is kind of run off screens and knock down jumpers because he doesn't have that athletic athleticism or the tools to really get off that junk that you talk about. No, but that's I mean, like McDermott was able to. I, I mean, McDermott's been a weird has had a weird career and I, I still don't know what he ultimately winds up being. I feel like his story has yet to be totally told. Um, but the fact that he was so accomplished in college and he had so much to his game, it allowed him to trim the fat of his game and kind of lean out as an NBA player from a, what he'd be asked to do standpoint. Cam Johnson cannot lean out. If he cuts anything from his game, he's a rich man's Hollis Thompson. So I would argue if you're just talking about McDermott coming out, like if I could take another crack at like the next version of McDermott or I could have Cam Johnson, it's kind of a conversation to me. And I could be convinced that McDermott's got more more to him. Like, and you just have to put him on the right path. Whereas like coming out, maybe there were the expectations were just too high. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I think his upsides like James Jones, which might be why James Jones likes him. Um, or like Razul Butler, who was a far better athlete at this age, um, or Jason Capono. But again, those guys are all special shooters. Cam has to be that. 
those guys outside of Capona were all better athletes. And if Cam loses anything athletically, he he could be in for a rude awakening. Do you think he plays big minutes this year? I don't see how he could play over Mikel Bridges. Right. I don't see if they keep Kelly Oubre, how he plays over Kelly Oubre. Right. Um, you know, I'm sure they could find minutes for him alongside those guys, but I don't think he plays big minutes, no. Um, although for- there is a case to be made that everybody needs shooting, and if he's really that good at it, he'll find it for yeah, and they also traded for Darius Saric. I mean, I just, I don't know. There's, yeah, little margin for error. If he's not making shots at a really high clip, it's like, what's he doing out there? All right, Can anyway. Uh, one more surprise. Yeah, yeah. Kind of surprised that Romeo Langford went 14. Yeah, I had him going later too. I mean, if we're going to bury kids for background and for red flags, this isn't a terrible kid, but like, He's a timid kid. He's a he's kind of introverted. He didn't make his college team better. I don't think people like playing with him. I'm not sure he's ready to be on his own. He's had everything thus far kind of built around him, and he's been somewhat incubated in this whole process to date. Now he's going to go to a Boston team that has had guys all fighting for themselves, trying to you know play above their role, and that last year re- really struggled with chemistry. He could be James Young. And for Boston Celtics fans, to get him at 14, it it just it it should you should have some James Young deja vu. Yeah, of all the Celtics picks, he was my least favorite in terms of value. I liked Grant Williams at 22. I liked Carson Edwards at 33. I didn't like Romeo Langford at 14. I had him going um, a few picks later. Is there anyone that stands out as this guy you would have taken at 14 for Boston? I like Nikhil Alexander Walker. I think he's versatile. I think he could play with a lot of different players. I think he makes people around him better um, on a team where everybody kind of wants to be a scorer. I think there's a place for him. And I also really like Chumo Kiki. And if you're the Celtics and you have a problem with depth, redshirt a guy. You got three picks, redshirt him. You know, like the, there, there's more than enough picks there where you can say, we took this guy. We thought he, if he never would have gotten hurt, we'd have been picked in the lottery. We never would have had a lottery pick if we just had our own pick. We're going to take him. We're going to play the long game. It's funny you said that. I wrote an article earlier in the year where I had to pick a surprise prospect for every lottery team, and I picked Chumo Kiki for the Celtics. I thought he was that perfect, interchangeable, versatile defender that Ainge would have liked, and Okiki was 13 on my board. Uh, I was actually surprised to see him go as high as he did, but I'm, I'm a big fan of Okiki. I thought that would have been a really cool pick for Boston. All right, uh, who's the players who benefited most from being drafted to their specific team? So we've already talked about Brandon Clark and RJ Barrett, and I think that they all definitely fit this conversation a little bit. The guy that I'll say is, I'll say Eric Paschal. Um, I didn't love him coming into the draft. I thought we weren't really properly evaluating him as a draft community. We were making him out to be something he wasn't. I didn't always think he was as tough as he presented to be. I didn't think he necessarily bought into the things we, we wanted him to be for the role he projected ahead as. Um, I didn't love a shot selection, but this feels like the right team to break some of his bad habits and force him into a role that he needs to play in order to maximize his NBA career. And this is a team that doesn't have a ton of depth, and I'm not sure that a guy like, you know, that I, I think he could actually step onto that team and it wouldn't surprise me if he you know, jumped in front of Jordan Bell from a rotation standpoint fairly soon if they don't sign depth to fill out their second unit. 
So that's the probably the guy. And the other one I would actually say is Talon Horton Tucker, who I thought had first round talent, lands on the Lakers, who have nobody right now outside of really LeBron and Anthony Davis. And he's a clutch sports guy. So would it really shock you if they like kind of found a way to play him in the second unit mm-hmm. and he surprised people with, you know, decent play on a team that's contending for a championship? I could see that happen. You know, I'm fun- it's funny that you said Pascal because what about I mean, one of the guys I have written down in front of me is Jordan Poole, who I, I didn't love as a prospect coming out of Michigan either, but I think he's going to have a pretty clearly defined role at Golden State. I mean, he was a surprise pick to me at number 28. What did you think of Jordan Poole going to the Warriors? So I, we actually had Poole ranked higher than 28. Wow. Um, big staff favorite, loved him. Thought he was a sleeper in this draft, kind of an electric guy in terms of his shot creation and his setup moves. Um, I think he's a better shooter than people realize. I think he can get into the NBA and prove that he's a really like high-level advanced shot maker and shot creator. And I actually had him as a sleeper for second team all-rookie. I do think he's going to get a chance to play in the Warriors. I-, I love what the Warriors were able to do with getting him and Pascal on a team that needs depth. Um, the biggest question with him is going to be, you know, defensively and the the bad habits that he has. Can he learn to play around players like the Warriors have? And will they be able to find a way to integrate him? Because he's certainly not as ready to step in as like Nick Young was for, you know, Warriors teams in the past. But that's kind of the role that he's gunning for, in my opinion. Yeah, that's I totally see him kind of carving out that role as that microwave guy off the bench. Come into the game, create your own offense, make shots. And if you're not, you know, you have a short leash. You come right out. The other guy to me that I thought benefited, we talked about it earlier, was Kobe White. Uh, I think long term, he's just got a pretty clear path to that starting position on a team with good young players who are only going to get better. Um, so I, I like Kobe White as a guy who really benefited. Who's somebody who really got screwed coming out of the draft? So I just don't love the, like we just talked about these guys, but I don't love the situations for Grant Williams and Chuma Okiki because for Grant, He's essentially competing with guys who are on a similar family tree in like Shemi Ojale and Gershon Yabusele. Those guys are all fighting for the same role. I mean, I know Gershon's like more of like a five at this point, but like you can't play those three guys together. You can't play two of them together. Um, And I think the more experienced guys are going to get the first crack at those minutes, which is probably going to put Grant on more of a slower timeline to playing time, in my opinion, especially on a team that has a lot of depth or at least projects to, if they sign a couple for agents and don't just replace all the guys they're going to lose with rookies and second year and third year players. So I don't love the situation Grant landed in and Chuma landed on a team that's got Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac and Vooch who those three guys really don't make sense together because they're all four or five fours or fives. And I think Chuma's a four. So the fact that he's landed on a team that kind of just has a log jam at that position, I, I just wish he landed somewhere else. Now that could look very different a year from now, but uh, I just wish those two guys landed. We always talk about taking the best player available, and somehow every time Orlando does it, I'm like, Jesus, another big guy. You know, sometimes at some point they have to kind of put like a roster together that can actually play together. But but uh, right. I'm with you. Okiki would have been there for me if I, if I had more certainty about what the roster would look like when he's actually ready to go um, a year from now. Uh, who's your favorite first-round pick in terms of value? 
I mean, it's Kevin yeah. Porter Jr. Okay. You know, to be able to get a guy with the the potential to be one of the better players in this draft and to be able to get him at pick 30, that just doesn't happen very often. And to me, like, I think the roadmap's kind of clear. I, I know exactly what I would do with him. Whereas, you know, a guy with red flags like Bull Bull, you could do whatever you want with him. He still may not stay healthy and he still may not enjoy playing basketball. And that's really scary. I don't think Kevin Porter Jr.'s red flags are nearly as scary to get him at pick 30. I would be celebrating and I'd be out all night. I mean, it, I would feel very happy. Yeah, with my team. I have Brandon Clark written down and, and Kevin Porter as well. We talked enough about it, those guys. This is fun. Give me your worst pick of the draft. I just wasn't in a seer little guy. I mean, you know, Justin James is easy to, to criticize. Uh, wasn't a huge fan of Darius Baisley, but Nasir Little, I didn't see it. I don't think he's going to be ready to play right away. I don't know when he's going to be ready to play. His basketball IQ is super low. He doesn't know how to play with other with other guys who know how to dribble, pass, or shoot. He doesn't really have any sort of role player IQ. He doesn't defend as hard as people think he does. He's not ready to play as, as an, an energy role. We could be in for like an Al Thornton type situation where he's just not an NBA player, and he's not smart enough to figure it out. I, I didn't like the pick. We had dropped him out of our first round once we finally finished our big board. Um, I think Portland Trailblazers fans are probably going to be disappointed, although I wouldn't rule out that culture and how good they've been at developing you know, guys with certain makeup questions. So you're saying you don't like Nasir Little? <laughs> 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 I don't like this. I don't like him in general. And as much as I like the Blazers and what they've been able to do with, you know, take a guy like Jake Lehman, who was completely lacking confidence and in his own head coming out of Maryland and the way they've been able to build him up. Some guys, I just think there, there's only so, so far you can take them. And Nasir feels like a, like a guy to me that is closer to Al Thornton. Than he yeah, is that's actually Stanley a really Johnson. good comparison. You're good at these comparisons. I didn't have uh, I didn't have little top twenty. I had him somewhere in my in the twenty five range, exactly where he went. So I'm not going to go too crazy. Um, but I don't think that he's like a steal who really slipped. I was never a big guy, believer in little after the first couple weeks of the season. Like you said, doesn't doesn't have that basketball IQ for a role player. I, I don't really see what he does overly well. And I know he's got those impressive tools, but I don't think he uses them to his advantage. A terrible passer. I'm not ready to start buying the, the shooting, even though you know, it looks pretty good in an empty gym. So I, I didn't like it either. I'm shocked that your answer wasn't Rui Hachimura, who was my obvious answer to me for <laughs> for worst pick of the draft. Um, I I mean, I knew somebody was going to take him high, and I, and I mock drafted him, I believe, to Charlotte at 12. But Washington taking him at nine, I thought was like a dreadful pick. I think he's going to struggle. I, I, just the fact that Jabari Parker is there, although he did opt out. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to come back on, on a, a lower contract deal, but uh, I just thought Rui and Washington is just at that high and when they need to hit. Um, I don't know. I just don't see it with Hachimura, and I'm going to guess you feel similar. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a huge Rui Hachimura guy, um, though I've been really honest with – Anybody that I say that to, that there's a chance I'm the one that misevaluated him. There's a chance that I'm not <laughs> seeing something that's there. Um, you know, my biggest concern with him has always been that 
he has not developed as much as we think he has, that he has not evolved and grown as much as we think he has. When I go back and read my notes from 2014 on him, they're very similar. Um, so my whole kind of stance on Rui was that he's been misevaluated, but there's a, there's a possibility that I'm the one that misevaluated him. And if that's the case, then I don't know what he is and I don't know what he could become because I have misevaluated him and that's possible. And if that's the case, and if you really believe in his upside and I, you know, Tommy Shepard is in, you know, he's in his interim GM role right now. He's definitely got to, you know, win this draft. And I believe in Tommy as an evaluator. He's been doing this for a very long time. And if he sees something there, if he thinks this guy's got upside and has the chance to evolve and, you know, develop further and be a late bloomer, then I think it could be, you know, a big hit. And I, and I, you know, I cannot say enough that there's a certain guys you look at and you say, I'm so far off of the consensus that there's a chance I'm the one that's wrong and I've misevaluated him, but I can't just jump into right. consensus because of that. So that's where I am. And, you know, I don't want to say it's not going to happen because there could be a chance that I'm just the one yeah, that's wrong. Yeah, I'm with you, but uh, I'm, I'm also with you on your pre-draft evaluation. I just don't, I just don't see it with him without... Uh, not a, a passer, a rebounder, a three-point shooter, a high-level defender. I, I, I don't know. I just I don't love the fit. And I thought it was a, a weak pick where he was taken and based on what that roster has. Uh, clearly, Tommy thought he was the best player available, and Tommy does have a very good reputation. All right, let's close out here. Um, biggest second-round steal? I think it's Casey wow. Akpala. Um I, I had a lot of regret on him. I... I loved him. I really thought he was underrated. I thought this is a late bloomer. This is a guy that had a growth spurt that was a point guard when he was younger that has really good handle for his size. It feels like he's still going to grow another inch or two that got better as a shooter from freshman to sophomore year is learning how to defend on the fly was in a really non-creative role playing around pretty non-talented players and playing without really a point guard as Dejon Davis had a sophomore slump. So to me, to be able to take that step forward on the team that he was on in the role that he was on, he was on a bad Stanford team. And I think you often see guys who are not on good college teams, who don't get to go to the tournament, who don't ever get hot. Those are the guys that don't get enough attention. And I think Kezik Pala is someone that is best, his best basketball is still ahead of him. And there's a chance he's just far cleaner of a fit for an NBA role player role than he was to be a college team's best player. And when we look back five or six years from now, I think he could be one of the steals in this draft and I would have taken wow. him in the lottery. That is high praise. We actually talked right before the draft and you said you had five, I think, surprise lottery guys, but you could only tell me one and it was Poirier. I guess Akpa was one of the others. Uh it's true. It, w- it was like Paula and Fiebel was in there and Porter was in there as well. Okay. Yep. I, um, I'm not as confident in terms of a shot creating or shot making, but I totally see the, I, I like the idea of him six, nine face up scoring wing made a nice jump freshman, sophomore year. Uh, I, it's almost like to me, a coin flip of just, you know, is he going to get better in terms of his ball skills um, and, and just feel for the game? Uh, I think he's got the chance to be a pretty good defender. My pick was Razdakis, which we mentioned earlier, I just think that his scoring versatility is going to translate. Now he's not much of a passer. I don't know how uh, how he's going to defend, but I think he's going to find ways to make shots 
to create his own shot um, and finish in awkward ways. He's just this interesting player who I want to bet on because, man, he's he's so competitive. And uh, I just I just picture him carving out a role in the league. And the other guy, uh, Carson Edwards. And I think Carson Edwards, if he finds that right role um, where his job is to come off the bench and get hot and make shots, um, I, I think he's got a chance to also carve out a nice role on the playoff team. And what do you think about Carson Edwards' NBA potential and fit with Boston? I think I'm lower on him than I guess the market and you know a lot of people I've spoken with. Um, I, I understand the idea, I understand the appeal. I've just been burned on point guards that small and just guards that small way too often to be optimistic about Carson Edwards. Great season, don't want to take that away from him. You know, really carried Purdue at times, was electric, but he did it all through a diet of really, really tough shots that he didn't always create a ton of space on. At his size, without supreme burst and a real great creation, you know, ability to create space, those shots are going to become tougher. The the looks are going to become more difficult against real NBA length and size. I, I just don't think I could be optimistic about him. I understand Celtics probably looked at him and said, why not? Maybe he's got some Isaiah Thomas to him. Makeup, I love it. You know, mentality, I love him. Body's what you want a guy that size to be. But it's just, he, he's just, he's too wired and like, a, he's wired like a shooting guard. His mode of operation is tough shot making. And those shots are going to get tougher that's a guy that I struggled right, last to on. Question: Who's the best player who did not get picked last Thursday? That's who I had. Lugan Stewart. I, I mean, it's it, it's crazy, but it's it's also like, you know, I mean, we know a lot at this point, being in the industry, and you know why he didn't get selected, and that's because at some point he's saying, "Don't draft me." So it's kind of a, I guess a cop-out pick because he really would have been drafted if we were drafting the 60 best players and that was it. Um, I'm just surprised he wasn't even higher than the, 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 I guess the territory where you can start saying no to teams. Um, I, I think he's going to be a steal. I think he's going to be an NBA player. I think he's going to hang around for a while. with his defense. Uh, the other guy I would actually throw in there is Bryce Brown. I never understood why he didn't get more attention. Auburn was awesome. So is Chumo Kiki. So was Bryce Brown. He's one of the better shooters in this draft. He defends. He's got the build of a boxer. He can play some fake point guard. He's really confident. I like the the shot versatility. I think he's got a chance to kind of be Bryn Forbes-ish. I think he's going to be a steal if he can find his way into a roster. And he would have been... It, you know, if he like if he goes and drafted what he did, I would have tried to get him immediately, not just on a two way, but just on, on an undrafted free agent contract. I think he's going to be steal. I think he's going to go top thirty in a redraft. I think people are going to beat themselves up for sleeping on Bryce Brown. Wow, and he's he'll be an interesting guy to watch um, in summer league, and uh, and Dort is was my pick as well. I think give him a couple years, and he's going to figure out. Uh, the things that he struggled with. He was a, a pretty bad finisher. I'm not really sure if I buy the shot making right now, but man, he is tough. He's got somebody. And uh, I, I think he's as well. I thought that was crazy how far he dropped and, and put himself in that undrafted range. Um, we covered a lot of ground in the past hour and five minutes. Alan Vinokorov, 
Thanks, buddy. I appreciate uh, you taking the hour this late at night to talk some hoops. Um, let's do it again. Anything you want to plug, talk about, mention before we uh, hang up here? Yeah, a couple things we got going on. Um, anybody that's been following me knows we do scout you in the summer. So if you're interested in taking one of our classes to learn how to scout, uh, those are available starting in July. We have the crash course and we have the book club. Email scoutu at evhoops.com for more information. Also, there's a chance, it's not a certainty, but I'm exploring the possibility of starting a Patreon for the month of July, August, and September. We'll be covering Summer League, talking about prospects, talking about draft trends, just giving myself some some writing time in the summer to, I guess, explore some of my own ideas while I'm a little bit slower. Um, you know, it's my off season essentially. So if you're interested in something like that, you can email scout you at ebhoops.com as well. And, you know, I'm just trying to gauge the interest of it right now before I consider launching it. Scout you at ebhoops.com. Uh, one of my favorite basketball minds in the business, Alan. Thanks again. And thanks to everyone else for listening. Talk soon. See ya.